So mm-hmm. I, I guess it's just a, a miscategorization. Uh, miscategorization. Does it say it's like categorized? Categor miscategorized. Miscategorized. There you go. Radio Drone. It's another Thursday night. I am Josh Hadley. With me, with his new legs, is Cecil T. Robot. Yay, I've got new legs. That's an in-joke I'm not going to explain. Crying as the Joker has molested him is Peter. Tell me, do you bleed? You will. Okay, because Cecil is such a gimp, he gets to do the Adam and Eve promo. Oh, no. (laughs) Yay. Um, If you go to adamandeve.com... And enter the promo code DROME. Uh, you'll get 10 free DVDs, stuff that uh, Josh talks about all the time. 10 free gifts. <laughs> 10 six free gifts. Six, six free DVDs, a free mystery gift for him, a gift for her. A gift for him, a gift for her. And no um, Peter shipping. And no Peter shipping, yes. Free shipping within the continental United States, if I am... No, uh, it's not continental. No? It's straight up United States. So, oh. so uh, Alaska and Hawaii, the freak states, can get it too. Oh, well, that's good. If you live in a good. Canadian igloo, you're screwed. Tonight we're <laughs> going to talk about something might be a little weird for Radiodrome, but it, it, it's not really. Now, we're going to talk about music videos, because I feel music videos have kind of gotten lost as an art form. And I think a lot of people are, will be surprised at how many major film directors either got their start in music videos or later went and did music videos. And there's an interesting background on music videos that goes beyond MTV. When did you first notice music videos? Is it when you first encountered MTV or were you aware of these things prior? Pretty much MTV was was my thing. Although I didn't have I didn't have MTV uh, until like the early '90s. So if ever I was watching it, I was usually going over to like a friend's house. You know, that would be the thing. It's like, oh, let's put on MTV because you know why? That was back when it was just nothing but music videos. It was like a video yeah. radio station. Yeah, I was watching. I mean, the music videos that I did watch when I was home. Friday night videos and stuff and uh so that would you know get me my music video fix but it was you know a couple of music videos that were usually really well behind the curve you know so it'd be like me and my wine from Def Leppard like 4 years after you know the video after was that done was relevant Peter I know you didn't technically have MTV up there you had much music which was mm-hmm. kind of the more ballsy equivalent cuz you could swear on much music where you couldn't on MTV and they were yeah. must- I-, I know much I live in what's called the footprint of Canada when it comes to satellite terms, since I'm in northern Wisconsin. So on my satellite, I was always able to get much music as well as MTV. Ballsier older brother of MTV. You yeah, grew up on much, a, right? More of a selection, as far as I know, from people that had MTV compared to people that had much. Uh, much definitely had more of a selection. There was less censorship. So I, I feel pretty proud knowing that I grew up with that. So did you encounter music videos through much, or did you, since you're kind of younger than Cecil and I, did you encounter those, say, as the extras on the Terminator 2 VHS or or Dream Warriors on the Nightmare on Elm Street tape or something? Did you encounter that first or much? 
That's a good question. I probably first saw like uh, in terms of my first experiences with music videos, it probably would be like the the You Could Be Mine music video uh, for Terminator 2. But I do remember first discovering much music at a friend's house because I just wouldn't really watch music videos much. And I was getting into this is when I was maybe like seven years old or something. And I was first getting into music and my buddy had much music on and I was discovering uh, it was really cool to discover new bands and to get into stuff like I, I saw my first uh, Danzig music video with much and I that was really it was really cool it was really cool to to tune in and, and see and, and see all these music videos and hear all these all these new bands and stuff and it was uh, it was pretty awesome now music videos didn't start out as what we think of as music videos now we're in the pre MTV era here music videos used to be for the most part a concert clip or a staged concert clip like Paranoid or I'm 18, where it's just the band sitting on stage playing the song. What we think of as the music video can be traced to 1980 with, it depends on who you ask, which was first, either David Bowie's Ashes to Ashes or ACDC's Jailbreak, which were the first music video to really tell a narrative. That That's not counting the Beatles or the Who where they would have narrative music videos that were literally just clips out of a Beatles movie or Tommy. So those were not made as that. So I'm not counting the Who or Beatles stuff. So it either comes down to ACDC or David Bowie. And then what really took music video to the art form that we know is still pre-MTV. You guys know Michael Nesbitt from the from the Monkees, right? Yeah. Michael Nesbitt made a, a home video called Elephant Parts which was some comedy sketches held together by a bunch of what we would now call music videos. This later translated into a Nickelodeon show called Pop Clips, where, which was so popular, they were running it almost three times a day, five days a week on Nickelodeon, which would just mm. show music videos in 1980. And then that, because the same company that owned Nickelodeon, which was, which was MasterCard at that point, wanted to make an all-music channel, and that eventually morphed into MTV. So even though he wasn't directly involved, Michael Nesbeth essentially created what we think of as MTV. You know, when you think of, of music videos, you think of st stuff like MTV and much music, and it's, uh, it's kind of crazy to think that there was something like it uh, beforehand. It sort of it sort of reminds me that there were movies like Lethal Weapon before Lethal Weapon, like movies like Running Scared and whatnot. So it's uh, it's 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 interesting. It's cool and um, definitely takes me aback to know that uh, a band like the Monkees were kind of the 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 starters of of the music video channel. He did the soundtrack to uh, Time Rider. I believe he well he also produced Repo Man. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he had anything to do with the soundtrack to that, but he did executive produce Repo Man. And didn't he create Whiteout? His mom created Whiteout. That's where he That's got all it. of his money from. His, his, mom, his mom invented Whiteout. Yeah, so uh, I, I don't think it's... I mean, it's cool, but um, I'm not particularly surprised by it because he seems to have come from a place with money and inventiveness. So uh, it seems like you know he, he was already musically inclined, so uh, that it just seems like it was a natural progression of things. He just kind of mm. was in place at the right time and uh, probably got paid a, a nice chunk, although I think probably made more money through the, the White House thing. Or the, or the monkeys. <laughs> I also really do highly recommend the movie or home video, whatever you want to call it, Elephant Parts. It is really, really damn funny. You, you, you can get it with a coffee cuppy, or you could order a Marnagrita. 
So what happened is these weren't even called music videos in the early days of MTV. They were called promo clips because they Mm. got these for free, that the record companies would give them these things for free and then they would play them as it was was considered – MTV was considered in the industry a publicity channel. The early days of MTV were they were very safe and they were called racist by by people because MTV started off as rock and pop only, no R and B, no country. So of course Rick James called them racist and they don't want to play my video because they don't want no niggers. That's his quote. They don't want no niggers on that station. Mm. MTV retorted, I think properly, with we also don't play Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash. It's not mm. racism. It's you don't play rock and roll. And, of course, Rick James didn't buy that, so he went to all the press and the NAACP and started a big stink to the point where Billie Jean was the turning point, that it was mm. Billie Jean that whatever – I don't remember what Michael Jackson's record company was at the time. They outright said, if you do not play this, if you do not play this song, then we are pulling all of our other acts from your station. And then oh, look wow. what happened with Billie Jean. We're not even up to Thriller yet. Billie Jean exploded. In a way, that Michael Jackson was how they moved away from pop and rock. But Billie Jean was... uh, Oh, so they were saying Billie Jean was R&B? Yes, because Billie Jean was categorized as R&B at the time. God, because I think... It's totally pop, though. Like, how is that R&B? Look at it from a 1983 perspective. I think think Rick Rick James bitch had a point there. Yeah, I I don't, because Rick James is straight up R&B. Rick James mm. would not go well with what MTV was playing at the time. I just mean the the the, the um, racist argument because you know Michael Jackson, black, he had bought music, but they cl- they classified it as R and B. No, see, I I don't buy it because MTV at this time was also playing the Bad Brains, Bow Wow Wow, and Jimi Hendrix, okay, all that black makes bands. Sense. So mm. I, I, I it wasn't a we're keeping black faces off here. It's we don't want to play your shit. And you're going to play the race card because of it. I guess just an error. Like they, they saw Billie Jean as R&B, even though it's not like Michael Jackson has always been pop. Yeah, I think it's just that we, we've kind of known Michael Jackson to be pop for so long that thinking that, you know, they considered him R&B. It was a different thing. Well, like, because like, you gotta remember, at... he came from the Jackson 5, which definitely right. was R&B. Yeah, that's that's true. There's no real... Like, like I know people that consider gangster rap hip hop. So mm. I, I guess it's just a, a miscategorization. Miscategorization. Say it slow. Miscategorized. Categorized. Categorized. Miscategorized. There you go. At, at this point, M- MTV has blown up huge. Music videos are are starting to become a big thing. They actually, what made them cross over and give gave music videos some kind of a weird legitimacy was Thriller. Michael Jackson's Thriller, as directed by John Landis. When John Landis did this, he had just killed Vic Morrow, so he needed a hit bad. They decided that this wasn't a music video. This was a short film. And I think that was the true turning point in music videos, was Thriller. Thriller was actually so popular that you know how MTV was kind of, we don't schedule anything. They would actually schedule Thriller at regular intervals and tell people when they could watch it. And Thriller was the first music video to ever be released on VHS. It was that damn popular. One of my complaints about Thriller is not about it itself, but it doesn't, and this is not an insult to either man, 
it doesn't feel like John Landis. It feels much more closer to Joe Dante to me. Yeah, or or even like George Romero because of all the the zombie stuff. But the style has that lighter Joe Dante style though. So I, that's not an insult to John Landis. I just think Thriller feels more like John Landis was pretending he was Joe Dante. Well, the transformation does feel very American Werewolf in London, which was intentional. So that, you know, but then, yeah, the rest of it did feel very Joe Dante. Up to this point, music video was kind of seen as slumming. That, quote, real directors don't do music video. You know how we talked a few weeks ago about how (laughs) how TV was where you go when you're not good enough to do movies? In the early 80s, music video was where you went when you weren't good enough to do TV. And it was considered kind of a slum. And there were certain directors who start who became major directors later who started a music video but then you had ones like john landis who went to music video when cheech and chong had made all of these popular movies and and cheech marin wanted to make get out of my room which was a series of music videos tommy chong said that's stepping backwards in our career he saw it as a step backwards from we started on tv and then we went to movies music video are a step backwards can you see from the perspective of, say, 83, 84, how music video was kind of the slum of where you went if you weren't good enough to do anything else? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there there was a time where music videos were basically uh, kind of the um, starter area. You know, oh, you want to learn how to direct? All right, well, you got to you know pay your dues and do some music videos for a while. And it was not mm-hmm. really a very glamorous thing in the beginning. It was more of just a utility. It was like okay, it was a well, step we... below commercials. Seriously, Ridley Scott was making TV commercials at this point. He was asked to do a music video. I don't know which what band it was, and he considered that a step back from commercials. That's <laughs> how much stigma music video had at the time. It used to be stigmatized as being a bad thing, but now it's still a starting area. But um, unfortunately, we're getting an influx of a bunch of directors that started learning making music videos. And now when they make movies, they make movies that look like music videos. Marcus Mm. Nispel. Oh, God. (laughs) I have not liked a single thing that he's done. What a what a just crap factory of a director. We're going to look at some major movie directors who did music videos. I sent you guys a list of some of the ones. I mean, there are some famous ones like like Russell Mulcahy did a bunch of Duran Duran videos and they were shot widescreen even, which was unheard of for music videos at the time. But then you, you have other ones. Sometimes it's to sell a movie and sometimes it's just because the director wanted a change. Like when Toby Hooper directed Dancing With Myself from Billy Idol, all he had really done at that point was Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Eaten Alive, and he hadn't done any of the canon work yet. He got to make like a post-apocalyptic zombie film <laughs> with, with just a sneering blonde fool in the, as the centerpiece. When, when you guys watched Dancing With Myself, could you see Toby Hooper, his influence there? I, I, I could see his influence, but I kept wondering uh, when Billy Idol was going to start jerking off. Peter pointed this out to me. One More Try by George Michael. Directed by Tony Scott. I I believe the way you quoted it to me, Peter, was this entire music video is shot like the sex scene in Top Gun. Yep. (laughs) The the soft focus, the silhouette, the blue lighting, like the fog. I was expecting George. uh, I was expecting George Michael to start having sex with Tom Cruise at any minute. Sometimes a director's style just comes out so much in this, especially if it's an established director. You go back and you look at you look at Cold Metal from Iggy Pop. 
And I, I showed that to Cecil, and I didn't tell him who directed it. About 40 seconds in, he goes, Sam Raimi? <laughs> it is so, it's so Sam Raimi, isn't it? Absolutely. Oh, it's, yeah, just the, 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 the zoom camera. POV you know, yeah. shots everywhere. POV shots everywhere. Yeah, totally, totally Sam Raimi. Mm-hmm. Richard Stanley doing Preacher Man for Fields of the Nephilim. You look at that and you realize that this is pre-hardware. The very opening shot, you just go, that's where hardware came from, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you showed me that one. I had never seen it before. And same thing. You didn't tell me who directed it. I'm like, Richard Stanley? Right away, the duster, <laughs> the eyes, the freaking hat. I'm like, this is absolutely... The backlighting. You know, the, the backlighting. I'm like, this is absolutely Stanley. The ironic thing with Preacher Man is the singer of Fields of the Nephilim is Carl McCoy. He would go on in hardware to play the drifter that finds the Mark 13 at the beginning of hardware. And Richard Stanley also directed a video for Public Image Limited called The Body, which is why in hardware, the role that eventually went to Iggy Pop of Angry Bob was meant to be played by John Lydon, but he couldn't Mm. due to a scheduling conflict. So it kind of is all cyclical with Richard Stanley, isn't it? And then then you've got some David Lynch directed music videos that crazy clown time. Let's see if I can describe this for the audience. Nighttime in the back of a walled-in yard with a barbecue flaming up, a football player running in place, a big-titted woman flopping her, her tits around after taking her shirt off, a man sitting on a table just smashing his fists into the table, and then another man sitting in a chair furiously rocking for four minutes. <laughs> Does it surprise you that that's David Lynch? It's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Probably David Lynch's most famous music video, Wicked Game by Chris Isaac. Did you guys know he directed that? No. no. Although I, I, didn't, oh uh, I didn't watch that one. In in retrospect, though, you can kind of see it, can't you, Cecil? Oh, yeah. And oh, my God, dude, was I in love with uh, whatever her name was. I was, <laughs> was going to say, with Chris Isaac? Well, you weren't the only one. Well, the Chris Isaac, well, you know, <laughs> he, he is dreamy. He's got those cheekbones. No, the, <laughs> I think she was a Victoria's Secret model or whatever, who was just, like, topless the whole, like, video. I mean, you know, he was just mashed up against her. There is, unfortunately, the videos are, the the VHSs are pretty rare at this point, but there was a two VHS series called Rock Video Girls put out in the early 90s, which was all the girls that you see pop up in all the Aerosmith videos and Guns N' Roses and all that. Cherry Pie? It was was a whole bunch of, you know, the Cherry Pie and all that. It was a whole (laughs) bunch of behind the scenes and these girls talking to the camera and a bunch of outtakes as well. It got so weird at one point that she I don't remember what video it was for but the director came up to her and said in the in the final video she's in a giant clear glass case that's slowly filling with water as she's writhing around you know all sexy while the band is playing outside the mm-hmm. director comes up to her and says how would you feel if instead of water we filled this with baked beans she's like <laughs> call my agent <laughs> like yeah just, that's how nuts music videos were getting at that point man it was all smoke and doves and baked beans, apparently. <laughs> but then you, you, had, you had other ones, like like I said, sometimes it's to promote a movie. Russell Mulcahy's Princes of the Universe video for Queen. You've I actually got Christopher Lambert on set having a sword duel with Freddie Mercury in front of the Silver Cup logo. That's awesome. the coolest. I love that. Or a, another really cool one was You Could Be Mine, directed by Stan Winston. You brought it up earlier from Terminator 2. Where you've got Arnold as a Terminator trying to kill the members of Guns N' Roses while they're playing a concert. I think the, the, the end of that one is like Terminator zeroes in on Axl Rose and it says like not worth it or something. No. <laughs> Waste of ammo. 
Waste of Ammo. Yeah, that's yeah, good. yeah. That was awesome. Or, or I didn't it, even know that Stan Winston directed that. Like that just makes it all the more awesome. Well, and then you've got ones to stick with the James Cameron family. Future, what is she, a three-time Oscar winner now? Catherine Bigelow directed mm. the Selling Jesus video from the band Skunk Anazazi for Strange Days. It's the song that plays over the trailer. It's bizarre, to say the least. And you go, <laughs> Catherine Bigelow, you know she's going to win Oscars down the road for directing, right? One of the weirder ones, and this one is more like a mini-movie too, James Cameron directed a video for Bill Paxton's group, Martini Ranch, called Reach. It, it takes place in kind of like a old, uh, an old west, but the future, because they use CD video technology in it, and there's like a laser screen, but everything's old west styled, weirdly. Bill Paxton is on the run from Bounty Hunters, played by Gail Ann Hurd, Catherine Bigelow, and Bill Paxton's his group of outlaws is Lance Henriksen, Adrian Pazdar, Bud Court. It, pretty much the cast of Aliens. <laughs> That's and awesome. this is a music video by a band nobody's heard of. Did this um did this come out before or after Near Dark? It would be right around Near Dark time because this was right that after Aliens. That kind of makes Alien, sense. So Bill Paxton in a gang with Lance Henriksen. Yeah, I'm and seeing And Adrian the... Pazdar and Mark Ralston yeah. and yeah, and then you got <laughs> Bud Court as as like a mechanic. You got Jeanette Goldstein as as a bounty hunter. This is all played over Bill Paxton's band Martini Ranch. That's amazing. What the hell? The other Martini Ranch music video, How Can the Working Man Find Time for Self-Culture? Mm. That's the title of the song. And it, it's it's got, of course, Bill Paxton's in it since he's the singer. But it also has Anthony Michael Hall and Judge Reinhold in the video because why not, right? <laughs> why not at that point? You've got like, uh, I know Cecil, before he ever knew who directed this, he knew the video. Be really unique. Bad Religion song, 21st Century Digital Boy, directed by future Pirates of the Caribbean director Gore Verbinski. And mm, this is the one, for those that don't know, where it's a little baby watching TV, and the Bad Religion guys are all blue, and they're swimming in static. Oh, I loved it. I thought it was, like, it was such a creative, like, cool video. It was neat because it was a, uh, a remake of the same song that they did on an earlier album. It was like a more... The original version was a little more... It was a much punk- cleaner cover, let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, it was a much cleaner cover. The original... I mean, they're a punk rock band, so the original was much more punk rock. And the mm-hmm. new one was a little more... It was a little more polished and... Uh, and it played. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know which version I like better. I like, but I think both of them are, are cool. The video is just awesome, and uh, I really wish that there was some kind of uh, behind the scenes. Like I would like to know. I, I I have the feeling that they're they're floating in. For some reason, I just have this feeling that they film them like swimming in milk. No, it, then... it, it's it's actually because because of early 90s keying effects nowadays you could do it seamlessly but i I worked with a chroma key for a decade well when i was working in the news and i can see exactly where the chroma key was probably doing the best it could at the time they were painted blue and they were in green liquid which would then key out and because you can see green liquid kind of falling off of some of the static sometimes really? okay because i was looking as they're writhing around mm. so it was just they were in the green liquid and then they keyed in the static later but because of the contrast between the blue and the green some of it you still had some of it that wouldn't key out properly huh. okay so i didn't see i mean i know green is, is primarily the the color but uh, uh i couldn't uh i couldn't see it but i mean granted i didn't look very hard yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. It's it's such a creative and, and, and neat video. It's probably one of my favorites. 
And then you have arguably one of the biggest, both music videos and music video directors that ever went backwards, was Martin f***ing Scorsese directing Bad <laughs> for Michael Jackson. <laughs> Strangely enough, I can see his style in it. He's got some Definitely. of those long crane shots and whatnot. I can actually say I can see Martin Scorsese's style in the bad video. And just the whole aesthetic, like the whole street thing. Like it has like a like a sort of gangster quality to it. Yo, man, ding dong. Ding dong, yo. But then we come to the two that we cannot avoid. David Fincher got his start in music videos before he mistakenly, even by his own terms, took the job on Alien 3. He directed the straight-up video for Paula Abdul, which in retrospect, you can kind of see. It's a wide, wide shot, all with a white background, and Paula, all in silhouette, as this tiny little figure at the bottom. You go, holy crap, that is so David Fincher, isn't it? And then, and then he did Freedom 90. He did, he did the famous Vogue video for Madonna. And arguably his most famous was Janie's Got a Gun for Aerosmith, which, <laughs> which let's face it, if you cut out the parts with the band playing, that thing's a mini movie, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's totally a movie. Although MTV copped out, and uh, when the, uh, the, the, the camera shot coming out of the gunshot wound in the, in the original cut, it starts inside of the body and then zooms all the way out. Whereas in the MTV uh, Were Complete Wimps cut, it cuts like it's already out of the body and it moves much quicker away from the body uh, because they, they couldn't, you know, they, they, they didn't want to show that much violence because it was a very slow, like, pull out of the body. Like, it was mm. a great shot. And then they, oh, we can't show that. It's violent. Can, can you see Fincher's style, not just in that, but in, like, Freedom 90, Vogue and Straight Up? I guess more so in in Vogue and in um, Janie's Got a Gun, um, since they both kind of uh, are, you know, the more stylistic and whatnot. The big elephant in the room is arguably the most famous music video director to ever go on to make movies, and that would be Michael Bay. Michael (laughs) Bay, I I, I actually like the band The Divinals. I've always been a fan of, of the band. In retrospect, when I look at the video for I Touch Myself, you go... Oh my God, this is so Michael Bay. The camera movement, the colors, <laughs> the the cuts even. That yeah. is such a Michael Bay music video, isn't it? It definitely looks like it. And you can even you can still see a lot of the same elements from that music video in his movies recently. Like uh like it looks a lot like pain the way gain. pain and Holy gain crap, looks. Does yeah. that look like pain and gain, doesn't it? It absolutely does. Like very colorful, very, very saturated, kind of shiny looking like it has a very crisp look to it that that music video has as well. Like you can you can really see that the style that he was using for his music videos definitely transcend transcended into his movies. But yeah, that that music video, it's you can easily compare that to the way he directed Pain and Gain. Like it's very similar. Oh yeah, I think in that video too, Michael Bay might have also invented you know inadvertently invented Facebook slash uh, Twitter photo where it's the close-up shot of uh, the lead singer's like face while looking down. So it's like so all you see is like a little bit of her face and a whole lot of cleavage. And <laughs> Christina like, Amphlett is so gorgeous in that. Did you w- not want to see her cleavage well, or that no. <laughs> or that scene where she's bending over, looking between her own legs? But what I'm what I'm saying is that like that was 
the like that was a large portion of the video was just her like singing like kind of upward and then it was just cleavage and it, yeah. I like and it's a song really... that's very clearly about masturbation too. Honestly, even at the time when that when that song was out, I was surprised with how graphic it was that it became a top forty hit. Well, it's very. <laughs> it's I totally very see what um. I can totally see what Cecil's talking about though. Like she's in she's in like selfie angle the whole time. Yes, yes. It's it's shot in selfie mode. And then we've got the Michael Bay video that. VH1 voted the worst video of all time. I disagree because this video is epic beyond epic. And that would be mm. Meatloaf's I Would Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That. This thing is a goddamn Michael Bay movie. The yep. opening shot are two helicopters silhouetted at the magic hour flying over a sign while a fat man on a motorcycle is being chased <laughs> by, by street cops. <laughs> and keep in mind, I have this on Laserdisc. I have the Meatloaf video collection on Laserdisc, and that version's even longer than the version that was shown on MTV. You cannot look at this and not immediately see Michael Bay's movie style in this, can you? Absolutely. It looks like uh, I would compare that music video to something like The Rock. Like, it has that kind of look to it, that sort of earlier 2000s uh, action movie bay. And, uh, and this I, is I like 1990, what, four, 93? Yeah, and uh, that's the style he would he would later use in stuff like The Rock. Like it really has, it has that same kind of epic scale action movie kind of aesthetic. And uh, I, I both love that song and that music video. It's great. The kind of return of the more long form music video because and the most expensive music video ever made up to that point. But up holy, to that point, holy shit, is it all on the screen though, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah it's it's a good looking video. I mean, they definitely you know they got their money's worth because it was mm. you know explosions and the freaking motorcycle chase and the makeup on Meatloaf and and the uh, the castle that he's in with all the candles around and everything. Yeah, it looks expensive. I was never really. I, I didn't understand the video of Michael Jackson's "Scream," where that ended up being the most expensive music video, and I, I, that um, actually, it was just CGI. Right, really. it's because of just how expensive for "Scream," just how expensive CGI was in the mid '90s. It just he, he insisted that they do most of it in CG, and it was just so much more expensive than having done line animation or anything like that. That it was just you could make that exact same music video now, probably on your laptop. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's kind of the, the unfortunateness of it, because like if you go back while always kind of, you know, uh, go after practical, uh, you know, like him or hate him with with Michael Bay. If you go back and you look at uh, that that video, it looks great. You go back yeah. and you look at the freaking uh, the scream video. And it looks like bad 90s CGI. Michael Bay is one of the few ones where you can see you, you two may disagree with me. His music video style pulled over into his movies, and I don't think that was for a, as a detriment. Because I think you, you look at, like, Bad Boys, especially Bad Boys 2, Pain and Gain, The Rock. They all are shot like a music video, but a pretty decent one. I don't, um, I don't disagree that they look good. Like, um, I don't hate on Michael Bay entirely. I just don't like his... Uh... His Transformers movies, but I love like The Rock and Pain and Gain and Bad Boys and stuff like that. The Island and, uh, is awesome. But when it comes to like comparing music video to movie, I would almost say that his music videos had a cinematic quality to them, and that going into film worked because 
his music videos already looked like movies. So it, it worked like taking the I would do anything for love style and using it with the rock and uh, the styles he would use for movies like Pain and Gain and, and Bad Boys and Bad Boys 2. Whereas if you compare a director like Marcus Nispel, who's who started out, what what was he doing before like uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake? It was like Marilyn Manson videos and stuff like that, where he, he took his shit in a bucket in music videos and shit in a bucket in a movie too. And it was obvious. Whereas with Michael Bay, like he had serious filmmaking chops. You can say whatever you want to say about the guy. He's it's a pretty goddamn good director. He knows how to work with color and angles and just make things look very grand scale. So for me, looking at his music videos and comparing it to his movies, I don't see it as like a music video style being put into movies. I see it as a guy who was much grander than music videos who went into movies and really let his uh, his flag fly as uh, as far as his visual aesthetic goes like i think he was really destined for movies and just kind of started in music videos do you think that that the kind of bayham that he makes did translate well from music video to movie i genuinely enjoyed bay all the way up till transformers and i won't outright say that he's a director because he's not like everything that Hmm. peter said it's like he knows how to make something look good he knows how to take you know, all that money and put it up on the screen. Like his movies are expensive, but they look it, you know, it's Mm -hmm. never like when you see uh, a drama and it costs like $150 million and you're like, why did this cost $150 million? It's a courtroom drama. (laughs) He's got car chases and explosions and all kinds of chaos happening. And it looks great with transformers. I will like, I, this stuff does look good. It's just it's so poorly constructed story-wise that you just can't care. And yeah. I kind of wish that he put the effort like that he put into the rock and that he put into like the island and stuff. If if that somehow if we got the island only it was Transformers, I'm sure it would be so much better. Pain and Gain though was a nice swing back to old Michael Bay. I love Pain and Gain. Like um that's a movie that um I find myself watching like every other month. The last one of these I want to talk about before we get into the more esoteric question is Peter knew this video, but he didn't know George Romero directed the Misfits Scream video. In retrospect, Peter, it's got the Misfits attacking people as zombies in a hospital shot in black and white. How did you not know that was George Romero? Because I figured it was just the Misfits directing it as themselves and doing it as a tribute to George Romero. Like, I I don't know. I had this, like, mindset that uh, they just kind of did it as like a do-it-yourself kind of thing. But yeah, in hindsight, it totally does make sense. Like, why why wouldn't George Romero direct a Misfits music video where they're zombies going around killing people in black and white? Like, that's it's fantastic. Since we've been talking about music video and movie directors, we have to talk about the inevitable question that has been brought up ever since MTV started to become influential. Because you got to remember, MTV wasn't always music videos, but they weren't always crappy reality shows either. MTV also had many scripted programs. Cecil, I know you'll remember Dead at 21. Oh, I love Dead at 21. That was such a cool show. Probably the reason that that's not out on DVD is they used a lot of music in that that I'm sure is a nightmare to try and (laughs) relicense. Yeah, and there was also... um, The Max. The the Max was great. I loved The Head. I I think of all the MTV (laughs) non-music programs that that I love, I just rewatched The Max earlier this year, and that That was was fantastic. 
But no, it I, followed the comic to a T. No, per- the, the only part awesome. that it had to get rid of was was when he ran into Pitt because they didn't have the rights to Pitt. So well, that's how he became. Uh, there was a different right. kind of generic Pitt character in there. But otherwise, yeah, it was it was really damn. It accurate. followed it. I mean, all, yeah, very. I mean, the art style, everything was right on. It was such an awesome mm-hmm. show. At this point, MTV was starting, and like I said, this was even in the early days of the 80s where the, this criticism started to come about. Because music videos are cut in a certain way, and it's usually shorter shots, more cuts, more smash cuts than smoother cuts, you started to see that influence in some movies. Like We, we talked earlier about how Michael Bay seemed successfully made the transition from taking his music video style to movies, but then someone like Marcus Nispel did not. There is an overabundance, and I don't know if this criticism is completely fair or not. When you see a movie like the 13 Ghosts remake, which is a piece of crap, probably the worst edited movie I have ever seen in my entire life, I think it was rightfully criticized as edited like a music video. Movies and music videos, they have a different play style. I don't think a movie edited like a music video would work any more than a music video edited like a movie, with certain exceptions like Michael Bay. What do you think about the criticism of a movie that is criticized, rightfully or wrongly, of being edited like a music video? Is that a shot or is that a badge of honor? For instance, a movie like 13 Ghosts, where I don't think four seconds go by without a cut to another angle. That, that Literally, I don't think there is a single cut in that film that lasts longer than four seconds. For 90 minutes, you go, why? And then you find <laughs> out that the editor used to work in music videos. That does not work as a film, does it? That style. No. No, it's irritating. I, I, I think that uh, there's so many of uh, Michael Bay's like uh, associates that have gotten into filmmaking. Peter Berg and... thinks he's Michael Bay. He's not. <laughs> yeah, Peter Peter Berg. But I mean, he's yeah, he's not one of his underlings, but he's somebody who does definitely shoot things to look like a music video. Yeah, Marcus Nispel, whoever I forget the guy's name, the guy who directed the Nightmare on Elm Street reboot, because it's all the basically he he gives all the um, Platinum Dunes movies to the you know his music video buddies, and then you yeah. get all these horror movies. You get the freaking Hitcher remake, you got the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, the Friday Thirteenth remake, and they all look like bad bad music videos, and it's irritating yeah. because you can't do a horror movie like a music video you know you can't have all that flash and shit and expect it to like you know to be scary it's not yeah so when i when i always say uh you know something looks like it's a music video i say that to, to a negative connotation i say that like that's a bad thing a movie shouldn't look like a music video unless it's supposed to be uh, i would say if you're filming a musical then you can make it look like a music video. But aside from that, if you're filming a, a horror, and maybe to some degree an action film, if you have certain yeah. scenes that have music video elements to it, but overall being, you know, making it look like a music video is a negative thing. I think it can be positive and it can be negative. I think it really depends on the way the movie is actually handled. Like, um, like as Cecil was saying, horror movies probably shouldn't have like a billion quick cuts and whatnot, especially with, Movies like 13 Ghosts and a lot of the Platinum Dunes horror remakes like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and like Friday the 13th. I, I will go on record to say 
that I don't hate the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one. I think that's one of the better ones. And then they kind of devolved and got sheer from there. But I still agree that it has too many quick cuts. It is too flashy looking, even if it has uh, cool elements like uh, like early Ermy. But overall, I don't think it's an aesthetic that belongs in horror. Maybe in action, kind of, for certain uh, certain scenes and certain elements. But then sometimes it goes overboard, like with movies like the uh, the Get Carter Stallone remake. Like that one really abuses the whole quick cut thing. I think used to a uh, like like a less is more kind of thing, like using it every now and then to maybe spice up certain scenes. But to have it for an entire movie where you're you're constantly going from different angles every couple seconds to every couple minutes. What's another one that's like a good example of doing it the wrong way? Like it's it's Ghost a movie ship. with Mickey Rourke, Ghost, uh, Ghost ship. ship, or that when, when, when they when they have the um, flat, when they have the flashback to all of the chaos that happened on the ship in the past. It's it's even scored to a new metal band, and it's <laughs> cut to that <laughs> song that it's like all of a sudden the movie just stopped. And for the yeah. next four and a half minutes, it's a music video in the middle of our horror video. film. It's pretty bad. Um, but I, I hate it the most when it's the whole movie. Like a movie that I found to be completely unwatchable that I really wanted to like is a – it's like a bounty hunter movie with Mickey Rourke called Domino. And oh, my God. Yeah. That, that movie is unwatchable. And that was Yeah, Tony you guys Scott. know what I'm talking about, right? That, that was Tony it's Scott. It's all in like And Kira Knightley. Yeah, Knightley. It's all in like lime green and constantly <laughs> cutting and constantly doing that like – I don't know what it is like they're overlapping the scene with a double of the scene that's like transparent and everything like has this you I, I, can't I, think, see. I think he got a new editing package in the mail and wanted to use one of everything in that movie yeah <laughs> like that and when it comes to that it's like you're you're overdoing it like um I think if you want to add in like a bit of an element to maybe make an to just uh, mainly for for action if you want to make an uh, a certain action scene look a little more over the top then by all means, maybe go for a bit of a, a music video look. But if you're going to do something like the the Platinum Dunes remake or remakes or like 13 Ghosts or Domino, like don't just just please don't. Well, I, I, there is one movie where it abruptly broke into a literal music video and possibly because I'm one of the few people on the planet that liked it. I thought all of these things I've done part of Southland Tales was really cool, though. Have either of you seen Southland Tales? Not for a while. Um, I saw it back when it first came out and was uh, not paying much attention, so I don't remember much That's of it. That's a movie you absolutely have to pay attention to where it makes no sense. Yeah. Actually, it makes yeah, no sense if trippy. you are paying attention, but it makes more sense <laughs> if you're paying attention. Again, probably to rights reasons why this is not on DVD and probably never will be, music video was so big at the time. Like I said, go back to the 80s. It was very rare to have the music videos on videotape. You know, nowadays you've got all the Twisted Sister videos on one DVD, all the Iron Maiden videos, etc., etc. Back then it was hard to find these. There was, a, there was a movie called Incident at Channel Q about a local TV station that was running music videos and they were getting having controversies. And it was literally, the, they would have the story elements play out for 7 to 10 minutes and then they would show a full Lita Ford video. At, you know, which is what the station in the movie was showing. And then they would have more story, and then it would be a Motley Crue video and so forth. I think that's both cheap and kind of clever for the time, don't you? Yeah. It's almost mm -hmm. like a, like a live-action Beavis and Butthead or something. Kind of. 
Dokken might be up, their heads might be up their own asses a little bit here. But when they did the Dream Warriors video, which was a monster hit, that part's undeniable. The Nightmare on Elm Street 3 VHS included the music video after the movie. And it was the first mm. time that had ever been done before. Nice. That, that VHS sold more than any other Nightmare on Elm Street, including the ones that came out later. Dokken claims <laughs> it's because of the music video being on that and that being so rare at the time. Do you think Dokken's head is up their ass or, or, or do you think that having the music video on there really was a unique selling point for Nightmare on Elm Street 3's VHS release? I do love that song. I'm not going to deny it. I love that uh, that Dream Warriors song by Dawkins. I don't know if I'm going to attribute the movie's success to them. I would maybe attribute it to that movie kind of like Nightmare 3 was still pretty dark, but it was going more toward the way the Nightmare movies would start to become like more of a the MTV generation Freddy that you would see in Nightmare 4. Like, I think it had that sort of vibe to it. And just as, as much having as like, that... And as much as I like... Like, having that song tied into it, I think it did kind of help because it had that sort of MTV generation vibe to it. But I don't know if I would give Dawkins specific credit for it. Well, and Nightmare on Elm Street 3 was also, as much as I like Part 2, the first real sequel to the first one. Bringing back yeah. John Saxon and and Heather Lankenkamp as well, and finally, mm-hmm. it, it was kind of an end to that story in all reality. Well, yeah, I mean, my my personal favorite is two, but I can see how three is such a fan favorite. Like it really is. Um, Maybe. it's really good. Like three is is I would say like a near perfect uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie. In fact, it's I would say on a technical level, it's probably the best one, even though two is my favorite. And just having um, musical guests like like Dawkin and having like the music video show up at the end. I think just the way it was packaged, it kind of gave it the the push that it got. I wouldn't say Dawkins specifically, but just how it was promoted and released like gave it kind of uh, a bigger edge than the ones that came before and even the ones that came after. Um, I could see it being a possibility. I mean, it makes just about as much sense as anything else. And, I mean, at the time, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street was, was probably at, at its peak, uh, Dokken. No, uh, whole... no, because really, uh, Freddy Mania kicked into full gear in 1988 with Part Four. But I mean, it was all right. It was on the major ramp up. So uh, I, I, I think it makes about as much sense as anything else. So uh, to end out the night, I want to say that I think music video in recent years. They've been throwing more and more money at music videos. At the same time, I think music videos matter less and less to the public. You don't have something like MTV anymore, and really you can't. Mm. I, I think everyone bitches that MTV is all reality shows and whatnot now, and I think that's a valid bitch point. Yeah. But at the same time, they can't survive just showing music videos anymore. Not with YouTube, yeah. not with Vimeo, not with Pandora and all this stuff. They can't. The internet, I hate to say it, has killed music video. Even <laughs> something like Rob Zombie. When Dragula came out in the 90s, that was so huge. Rob Zombie's admitted this in an interview. The new music videos he, he does cost more and look better, and they don't have nearly the penetration that they that they used to when they when he had MTV. It just yeah. the market is has changed. Or is it that we got old and the and the younger generation just doesn't care? That that could be a factor too. 
yeah, the the thing was MTV stopped doing music videos when they were still relevant. I can understand them not doing it now because like you said with with YouTube and everything, it just it doesn't make sense for them to to actually run, you know, music videos 24/7. At the time when when they were still going on, uh they weren't even trying. It's like they had total requests live where they would start a music video like already like a minute in and then while the music video was running, they would have a little pop-up, you know, I'm Jen from South Dakota, and I think uh, whoever is awesome, woo! you know, and it just, it, it was, it was like, I can't even watch this stuff, it's horrible. It just made it like a chore to even want to see a music video. Now, granted, the music videos that they're playing were stuff that wasn't really even aimed at my demo by this point. They, they just, they got so far away from it. I mean, there still were a few years that they could have run videos, but they didn't. So now they're not, and it actually makes sense. I think that it's silly that bands are still just dumping so much money. I mean, Katy Perry, how expensive are her her garbage videos? And uh, <laughs> or, or even something like to go back to Rob Zombie, the the Red Red Crewy video. There's no way that cost under two or three million dollars. It's a fantastically over the top video with full sets, tons of costumes, and uh, the reason I bring that up is the recently passed Tom Tolls is in that video as well. It's just hilarious that, like, you could film a movie for this, and they're making, like, a three, four-minute music video. It's it's yeah. just it's ludicrous, you know? Uh, and, and a lot of them are just, uh, I, I can't even understand. Like, they're so bad, but they're so expensive. But then, and, again, you, but then again, you've got the new David Hasselhoff music video, which is one of the most awesome things I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, my God. Uh, it's the Kung Fury thing? Yes, the Kung yes. Fury video. Oh, oh there, was, I, there was somebody... I've watched that so many times already. So, Cecil, we're going to make a cut every four seconds, and you only get four and a half minutes of life. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at goodbadflicks.com. You can find me at geekjuicemedia.com. And uh, starting on April 27th, you will be able to find me at, uh, hold on, let me just make sure Escapist I have the... Escapistmagazine.com. It is the Escapist Magazine. Wait. Uh... Okay, is, yes. there a, is, there no, a, at, is there a weird at, problem that I no, know where you're no, going before no, you there's do? No, there's no <laughs> the, I know, right? No, I goes messed up because there's no. And uh, you can find me at the Escapist, but the website is escapistmagazine.com. Peter, you got Michael Bay to direct you for 12 minutes. Where can people find you? You can find me in the most awesome music video of your life on YouTube, The Cinemasochist, Facebook, The Cinemasochist, Twitter at Zinematica, and pretty soon riding around on a motorcycle with a fat, overly done makeup meatloaf. Soon to be on 1201beyond.com. And speaking of 1201beyond.com, which is a website that really looks like John Carpenter designed it in 1996, Korea 1981, you can go to 1201beyond.com to find this and many other shows as well as T-shirts. we got a bunch of new ads. I'm saying, guys, go and click on some ads. They're not the same terrible ones as before. The Russian dating <laughs> ones are still there, though, so come on. You need a girl? There you go. Yes, I, it's kind of sad I have Russian dating ads on my website, but whatever. And you can contact <laughs> you, you can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Now remember, guys, music videos, they weren't always the crap that they are, but they weren't always the art that they once were.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.